Welcome to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial. Now, here's your host, Patrick Donahoe. Hey, everyone. Good morning. We are broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm joined by Brad, Brad Gibb. Brad, how are you? How are you doing this morning? It's a good day. Good day. <laughs> it's always a good. It's always a good day, especially when we're on the Well Standard Radio. And we got a cool topic today that yep. I think uh, will will help wake the both of us up. It'll be uh, some topic coffee for the for this morning. <laughs> See, here's your morning <laughs> Top, shot of Red, Red Bull. Bull. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, everyone. This is uh, Well Standard Radio. Th- thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. For uh, those of you who are uh, tuning in for the first uh, first time, we do broadcast live every week on Wednesday morning via the TuneIn.com network. Uh, we also have our podcasts archived on iTunes, so go check out either thewealthstandard.com or paradigmlife.net, and you can access the uh, the archived episodes uh, that we that we have. We've we've had a podcast and uh, and radio program dating back uh, to 2007, and uh, it's uh, it's exciting to be able to broadcast and talk about our perspective on money and our perspective on wealth. Uh, especially in such a rapidly changing economy, and today we're going to be hitting on a very, uh, uh, very personal, very personal topic in relation to uh, the pri- the privacy uh, of an individual, and specifically how it pertains to the privacy of of wealth. Uh, it's a topic that we get tons of comments about. Uh, we've been encouraged over the last uh, couple months to talk more in depthly about this topic. And uh, it's something that we're going to cover in the book that we have coming out uh, in the next few months called uh, The Wealth Standard Part 1. Uh, so tune into that. For those of you who are not familiar with uh, the project that we've had over the last six months with The Wealth Standard, uh, it's basically a book and an e-learning program that we'll be launching uh, this this uh, probably second quarter. And uh, we what we did to create content for the book is uh, Brad and I recorded videos live uh, mm-hmm. on YouTube, and those are archived as well. Uh, but we basically tried to interact with you, our listeners, our clients, and presented the the common rhetoric and the common concepts in relation to wealth planning, and and why people buy in or believe concepts that can be proven to be not true, but yet they're still considered as, uh, I guess, as as uh, as doctrine, wealth doctrine, if you will. So so we basically set out to uh, to basically talk about those uh, those issues. Uh, create the facts, uh, disprove certain concepts, uh, and then get feedback. And we're basically taking the transcriptions and the content uh, from those videos and turning it into uh, a book as well as an e-learning program that, uh, like I said, we'll be launching in the next uh, the next few months. So if you want more information on that, that you haven't listened to those videos, uh, they're pretty interesting. The ones that, that Brad are on are actually interesting. The ones that I did by myself, <laughs> you can maybe uh, maybe skip over. If you like spreadsheets and numbers, <laughs> go for it. Yeah, I had to kind of pull the reins back. On that <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, go uh, to thewellstandard.com, and all those videos are available, uh, available to you. And we're thinking about taking the first three chapters of the book, uh, which should be ready in the next uh, week or so, and posting them on uh, on the wellstandard.com. So stay tuned, stay tuned for that. We'd love to get uh, just feedback in general before we uh, we launch this thing. Okay, any other announcements? Let's see. Uh, I think that's I think that's it. Uh, actually, we have a really cool interview that's uh, going to be coming online with a uh, a podcast called the Flip Nerd. So www.flipnerd.com. Uh, really, really cool guy, uh, Mike Hambright, and uh, has a really neat following. So for those real estate investors that are out there that just want to uh, have some, I don't know, just additional knowledge, additional information about uh, about basically wholesaling and flipping homes, more of a capital gains transaction, then uh, definitely tune in, tune into him. So we have an interview uh, that I did uh, yesterday that's going to be broadcasting over the next uh, the next few weeks. So stay tuned, uh, stay tuned for that. Also. Just an update on the virtual, uh, the virtual cash flow or virtual financial summit that we are co-sponsoring with Tom Wheelwright and Andy Tanner. Now uh, that's going to be, it's going to be the the third week of May. I mean, we signed on the dotted line. We're committed. Uh, we're going to be sending out different updates over the next uh, month or so. So if you're not on our email list, go check out uh, www.paradigmlife.net and uh, subscribe to our newsletter. There's no obligation. And uh, you will get updates in relation to pretty much everything that we have uh, we have going on, including the virtual cash flow summit, which is neat. It's Are you excited amazing. about that? It's going to be amazing. I, I've it, never yeah. heard of anything like it being put together before, and the, it's crazy. The as you start to reach out to see the network, 
that, that's out there and the people that are going to be coming to this. It, it's going to be a, it's going to be the place to be. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, and hopefully we could pull it off because this, this, this whole, I mean, with this, it really hasn't done that, that often. In fact, there, there aren't many conferences that are exclusively uh, virtual. So right. we're using just a, uh, a company that allows, uh, they basically create this, this 3d online experience where you log in, there are buildings, there are conference rooms and you register for classes and, uh, all of the uh, the speakers are broadcasting live. It's kind of like you are in a, in a conference, but you're able to sit in front of your computer, and there's a, a forum and a chat while the while the speaker is talking. You can ask questions. Uh, there's a whole booth section. There's a vendor mm-hmm. section or exhibit hall yep. where each of the speakers has a little booth, and their their books are there and their giveaways, uh, giveaways and, and, and things like that. We're gonna have prizes. Yep. We're gonna give away some some iPads and some other gift certificates and, and things of that nature. I mean, it's gonna be really really cool. And uh, some of the speakers that we have lined up, um, I'm not going to mention any names yet, but they're uh, committed. It's going to be really exciting. Well, and and the breadth of topics that are going to be discussed. That's what I was kind of flipping through and saying, man, there's there's something on just about every financial topic out there. Yep. Um, so it, it's going to be exciting. No, I'm stoked. I'm stoked. So yeah, so stay tuned to that. We'll uh, we'll have some announcements uh, pretty uh, pretty soon. All right, so let's uh, let's dive into our. What, what I'm considering our intriguing topic. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it doesn't uh, make people fall fall asleep. Uh, but it's this is this issue of of privacy. So over the last, I'd say, you know, just five years, yep. the 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 information that's available on the internet is is just uh, it's un, it's unbelievable, and it's it's amazing uh, that technology and what it's allowed uh, people to to know just about life and about the world, about finances, about politics. Uh, it's it's really exciting. But at the same time, there's some other issues that have been exposed, and it mainly revolves around uh, privacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife uh, came to me probably a year and a half ago, and she was just getting kind of random friend requests and uh, from, from people in kind of just the, the, the business network that I have. And she got really, really concerned that people would be able to see our kids' pictures. And, and I don't know, just there again, there's yep. this there's an irrational side of things that I think naturally – uh, we have something inside of us that w- there's a private. We want to we want to have some pri- we want privacy. We don't want our our private lives. We want to be in control of wh- of who we expose that to. Yeah, well, and and the trend with social media and all of those things is to be more open and be more public and sharing more things. And now there's been this almost a pullback saying, well, wait a minute, once that's out there, I can never pull it back. I can never get it back. So there's certain things it's trying to decide what we can allow to make public and what we can't. My wife kind of said the same thing. We went to one of our conferences and I posted pictures and said, hey, I'm I'm here doing this thing. And she's like, now everybody knows you're not home and I'm home by myself. And she feels like she has to <laughs> sleep with a shotgun because it just you know makes her nervous on things. So trying to decide where that line is of what you can allow to be put in the public space and what you ought to keep private. Yeah, and it's and it's uh it's hard, you mm-hmm. know, and it's hard to know where to draw draw that line. Uh, but I think you know you look you go into the financial side of things, and uh, identity theft has been has been huge. Uh, just in this past year, you know, two thousand uh, in two thousand fourteen, you had issues with uh, Home Depot, mm-hmm. and somebody hacked their database and was able to get uh, personal information. Uh, uh, Target went through the the exact same thing, yep. and then most recently, I mean, you had like you know a lot of the celebrities' uh, iCloud accounts were were hacked. Uh, you also <laughs> had uh, Sony, that was probably the biggest news story of the latter part of last year, where Sony was hacked and emails were exposed and movies were re- released online. So people, I mean, there are there are very intelligent individuals out yep. there that are. Uh, able to get into specific systems uh, and essentially expose expose information. So, from a financial standpoint, what what is the concern? Like, what? Why should people be concerned uh, about about the privacy of their money or their wealth based on some of the you know the the issues that I just talked about with other companies being hacked? Yeah, I I see two main issues with it. One is just the the same concern you would have if you're walking in a dark alley with cash on you. you you don't want it taken from you so you know somebody coming in and just draining your account balances or getting online and access to to buying things online or your credit cards or whatever that is so just that's the fact of taking it but then also it's the idea of um, you feel like you might become a target if people know you have something saved or, or put aside you don't necessarily want everybody to know that. Yep. And so, you know, whether it is that you become a target or or whatever that might be, but 
you know, those two, I think, would be the main concerns that I that I worry about. And I think a lot of, you know, I think you and I have both uh, talked about this before, but there's this insatiable d- desire to, to to privatize wealth because mm-hmm. I think people are realizing that it is it is exposed, and yeah. whether it's through court proceedings or things that are about. Uh, outside of somebody's control, mm-hmm. people can go in and seize assets, whether it's physical assets or, or bank assets or brokerage account assets. Yep. And so we have a good a good friend of ours, Kevin Day, uh, and Mauricio Raul, who are, who are both uh, attorneys, and a lot of their business uh, specializes in asset protection. Yep. And their business is going is going really well, just because there is this there's more exposure. We live in a litigious society, and people can essentially be yep. sued for everything. And it's a lot of that's outside of their control. And so they want to privatize and protect their wealth using, you know, very expensive tactics and yep. techniques. Whether it's um, setting up offshore companies or or setting up entities in a specific way under specific names. I mean, it's there's a lot of things that can be done to protect mm-hmm. assets, but it, but it's becoming very very expensive. Well, but nonetheless, the demand is the, the it's demand there. is obvious. Yeah. Well, and I used to think when I was when I would hear people talk about privacy and this, I think, well, if you're not done anything wrong, you why do you need privacy? Like, what's the big deal? I'm not doing anything wrong. Or the people that do things wrong, well, yeah, they should have their assets taken from them. I mean, that's that's only fair. But what's becoming more and more is society is turning toward the concept of kind of eating the rich, right? And if you have something, there's a everybody else is entitled to share in that or take that from you. So you don't even have to do things wrong, but privacy will help protect. I mean, if you've got multiple businesses, if you've got rental property and you want it separated and private, just so that you can live your normal life. I, I think there's a big part of that that because the the feeling is going to, I mean, you hear President Obama get up and talk about, well, if you have more than X amount of money, that's more than anyone would ever need for retirement. So, <laughs> and, and so what is that programming or, you know, people's brains to think about yep. people who have money? Yep. So it's not even if you do something wrong or that you're trying to get away with something. It's just, if you've been responsible and been successful, you want to keep that to yourself. Nowadays. Yeah, I think but the first, the first time I really... Uh, kind of j- just was opened up or enlightened about this this idea of someone's desire to, to protect themselves uh, was right right when I got out of college and I remember talking to this uh, to this guy who was a very wealthy uh, business owner in Arizona and contractor and he said you know what one of my one of my number one fears is that somebody follows me outside of my home and and basically uh, forces me to get into a car accident with him and if I do that, then they come and sue, sue me for whether it's my my wealth or or whatever. And again, that really that really opened me up. So let's let's talk about ways in which a person um, can can uh, can sue uh, or how the government can get into a person can can do a lawsuit or have a uh, a way in which they can breach a bank account and take and take funds. So a judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, I I, uh, I saw lots of experiences during 2008 and 2010 where individuals uh, were just in dire financial dire financial circumstances, and they uh, defaulted on on their home. They defaulted on uh, credit cards and and car loans. So in the event of this type of default, that's kind of the first thing that we'll talk about. In the event of this type of default, what is what is some of the recourse that that banks and creditors can take? So banks and creditors have to go through a few more steps. Um, so it's not just, you're not just going to wake up one morning and your assets are seized for those things. So you're going to know that it's coming. But if you find yourself in that situation, you should be able to prioritize what you're going to do and make sure that you can feed yourself and take care of the basic necessities. Mm-hmm. But because everything is so virtual now and there's access to everything, it if somebody, if, an, if a creditor wins a judgment against you, so they got to go through that process to to prove that the debt is valid and then have a judge order that it be paid but then they can just force those payments to be made mm-hmm. they can be they can be taken from your account without i mean it's not that you're writing a check anymore so that type of access to bank accounts can be granted which then makes it very difficult for you to balance you know if you're in a hard time like mm-hmm. that like i said doing the things like putting putting food on the table mm-hmm. so because your bank account can be an open book in a sense, once those judgments are passed and and rights given to it, now it's out of your control as to when and how that money is dispersed. Yeah, and I think and it's it's great. We have two of the wealth strategists here at Paradigm Life are are both they were attorneys. Mm-hmm. I guess they still are attorneys. 
but essentially they were practicing in a previous life. Yeah. Uh, one of them represented a bank, and the other one actually represented the other side of the aisle, which was the consumer as it pertained to banks mm-hmm. and banks coming after them. And it's been interesting to kind of talk to to Will and Spencer about situations that they that they uh, that they saw. But a judgment is typically uh, it's very scary for somebody if somebody has served with papers because they've defaulted on a loan. They don't know what to do. Right. Most people have never been in that situation before, and so a lot. What I saw during this you know difficult time in 2008 to 2010, even at, even after that, people during the headlights. They're yep. like, I have so much going on in my life, and it's all crazy. I don't know what to, to do with this paper I've been been served. And so they do yep. nothing. So the bank shows up. They say, this is the promissory note. These are the terms of the loan. They defaulted. Bank says, here's you won, you won your judgment. Yep. And there was so much of that that happened during that time period. It was kind of like judges were sign, sign, sign. They didn't even look at the circumstances. And nobody ever showed up to represent themselves either. Right. And, and because it's all in, most people had all of their capital in one bank account, there were 10 people drawing on that same one balance. And there was nobody saying, well, wait, there isn't enough money to pay all these 10 people. And then they all, the money just gets drained because it yep. happens automatically and there's nobody helping protect So that that's person. the next step. So the next step is once that judgment is received, now the bank can take that judgment, okay? And it gets recorded in, mm-hmm. in I think it's the UCC or public filing or something. So there's there's priority on, on judgments. Yep. But that judgment is taking, uh, taken to the bank and basically, the creditor can go in and drain drain bank accounts. Just take take money. Yep. Okay. So that's essentially that's essentially the the process. And there's a number of ways in which they can find find out where the bank bank accounts uh, that the person has are. Yep. Uh, another thing too, and this is you know th- this dated dated back right kind of when when Paradigm Life was started, which was the the Pursuit of Happiness movie, which is the Will Smith movie that represented um, oh, what's the guy's name uh, Chris Gardner. Who was, you know, just he's a, a famous uh, stockbroker and public speaker and, and motivational speaker. But he, the, in this movie, he went through some incredibly difficult times and had issues with the IRS and didn't pay uh, back taxes. And if you remember in this movie, he basically bought into this business that sold like bone, I think it was bone, something with bones, like a bone scanner or something like that. So he was trying to go around to doctors' offices and hospitals and sell these bone scanners. And, uh, and so he, he sold one. He was, you know, down and out, and he uh, was was trying to pay bills, and he was excited that he sold this machine, and then he g- comes to find out that there's no money in his account because the IRS went into his bank account and, and took all and took all the yep. money that was in there that came from the sale of this machine. Yep, and that's a whole nother level now. Entering, you know, third party debtors, private debtors, that they have very limited access. But once you get to where there's a government entity involved. Now the game changes. Everything speeds up. Like Will Smith, you could wake up one morning and that money is no longer there. It was there when you went to bed and it's not there in the morning because it's, it's, it's a lot faster and they don't have to notify you in the same ways. No, it's, and it's, we can go into so many, so many different examples. Um, One of the things that we pointed out in, in our, doing our videos with the well standard is, uh, is an NPR, uh, National Public Radio, uh, an ad that they did or an article that they did in relation to how many Americans have debtors or creditors after mm-hmm. them uh, based on a collection account, which is a defaulted you know, credit medical card, bill, credit yeah. card, auto loan, uh, et cetera. Uh, and that's the other thing with auto loans. It's, it's like most people think if they default on an auto loan, the, 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 the bank comes and repossesses the auto, auto loan. It, it's, that's true, but then what they do is they repossess the, auto, the automobile, sell it at auction, and then they sue they, you for the difference. For the difference. <laughs> yep. So yep. it's... it's well, yeah, it's it's very difficult. You know, there's we often use the word or the term uh, zombie banks mm-hmm. uh, because banks do not they don't think they don't care they don't have emotions. It's letter of the law, and if you owe them money, they will fight tooth and nail to get it from you. And your bank accounts, your brokerage accounts, have exposure that most people are just not aware of until it's until it's too late. Yeah, and because it can happen with the you know typing keys in a keyboard now, somebody has to show up and take it from you anymore. It just can happen. Like I said, the speed at which this moves is so much faster than it was 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. And it doesn't even have to be, I mean, there are case after case after case of wrongful judgments being filed. The money is taken and then it takes months or years to sort back out. Or assets are frozen. So money's taken or assets are frozen, which means there's no 
people can't have access to any of the any of the funds yep. or the liquidity. And think, what would you do if you came to your bank account and it was frozen for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days wrongfully? And then you've got to spend all the time trying to get it figured out and going to the right people. And it's happened. I mean, just whether you're accused of doing something wrong or somebody doesn't like you and they want to accuse you of doing something wrong. Like I had a client who he was a he was a doctor outstanding guy, but had a disgruntled employee who he, he had let go, um, come and complain that he was selling drugs in the parking lot, like <laughs> under the table that fast. Everything was frozen. No way. Including his, his medical license. That's it was, insane. it was, it was nuts. And it, he was going through that saying, well, I don't know how to pay my mortgage now. I don't know how to do this or that or the other. And so it, it doesn't even, ha- and it all got sorted out, but it doesn't even have to be something legitimate, like I didn't pay my car loan. I mean, that's what I'm saying, kind of that mentality of eating the rich or going after the people that yeah. that wronged you. It doesn't even have to be a, a... They give the benefit of the doubt to the person that's, that's typically. suing oftentimes, especially if it's a consumer. Yep. Okay, so so why, again, why, why are we talking about this? We're talking about it because we, you know, we have a, a the huge privilege of meeting with, with thousands of people er- everywhere. And we get to see these mm-hmm. stories, hear these stories. And it opens opens us up to some of the benefits that we provide in in the services and the products that Paradigm Life offers. Um, so what we're going to discuss today is ways in which you can privatize privatize your wealth without uh, expensive, not not to say that asset protection strategies are are wrong. There is definitely a place, mm-hmm. a place for them and a role for that type of entity set up and structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of we refer a lot of our you know higher net worth clients to specific attorneys that specialize in the air, these areas. However, there is an incredibly inexpensive way, uh, pretty much no expense whatsoever, to to privatize your wealth with the the insurance that we typically set up. So let's talk about some of the characteristics of uh, the products that we offer and how they're protected from from creditors. Well, and that's the challenge that we have a lot of clients come and say. I want to I want to privatize my wealth, but I can't afford to send it offshore. I don't have enough to really justify the expense of setting up these complex structures, um, or they just they just can't afford to leave it sitting over there. They have to use it, and so there's some difficulty in in really accomplishing that for the average person. But a life insurance policy accomplishes that de facto. Just the fact that it's life insurance and not a cash deposit changes what's reported how it's accessed and and what can be viewed there. So just because it's a, we can still, it still has the same properties of cash, but it's not cash anymore. So we've changed the nature of the asset to achieve that protection. And that's that's probably smart to, to just, you know, talk about before we get into the insurance characteristics of people thinking they have cash somewhere. And is that really, is that really true? Because that was something, you sent me an article mm-hmm. last night as we were kind of preparing for, for all of this. And the article, uh, and I think it was, it, it came from a specific, specific uh, book that talked about just banking in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this law changed this, this past year. But when you put money uh, into a bank, uh, that's not, it's, it, it may seem like your money. A savings account may seem like that's your money. Yep. A checking account might seem like that's your money, uh, but it's not your money. Okay, when that the the technical definition of depositing money into a bank, it essentially uh, becomes a lot li- a liability. Yeah. Right. So in essence, you deposit a thousand dollars with Chase. Yeah, there's a thousand dollars in an account. You can disclose that as an asset, but technically, the bank owes you that money. Yeah, it's a thousand dollar money. It's a, you exchange that money for a loan with the bank, which is they loan you money, which in a very liquid or they owe you money in a very liquid form. Yeah, it's a thousand dollar claim against the bank's assets. It's not I have one thousand dollar bills sitting in a location. It's a claim on that company's assets with certain terms. Mm-hmm. And people think that this is a I mean People that are now thinking about privacy think this is all happening recently. The article I sent you, the interesting thing on the date on this is 1848. <laughs> when this really started to be undermined was in 1848. And the ruling says this. It says money, when paid into a bank, ceases altogether to be the money of the principal. It is the money of the banker. <laughs> That's what that, that was the opinion written on a case that was settled by the judge. That's now, that, everything is based on that. Your money is the money of the banker. That's crazy. 
And that's, I mean, it's, and maybe some of you guys know this, mm-hmm. uh, may, maybe you don't, uh, but fact, fact check, check us. Yep. Um, if you can, we'll put the link to that, uh, to that book on, uh, on the podcast mm-hmm. blog, uh, fact check, to, uh, fact check us. Yep. And it, it's, you know, this is something that we've been talking about for, for a long time, as far as, you know, what a bank account balance is, what a savings account balance is. And it uh, doesn't only, it doesn't just stop at cash deposits. When you have securities with brokerages, most of the time, those arrangements are the same thing. Yep. You have claim on those securities, but they're not yours. And the bank can, the commercial bank can do what it will with those assets. Um, and so you're, and that's, what's been changing. I think um, some of our listeners have probably heard of this, but if you haven't go look it up as well, but the last uh, G20 summit that was held in November Mm -hmm. of last year now is expanding this uh, worldwide to where banks are, I mean, it's just the, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine, because what happened is the prioritization of debt repayment. So now we, we understand that the money that you that is yours isn't your money, it's a debt. They reprioritize debt. And where do they think you, they put depositors? Way down the at bottom. the bottom. Where do you think they put interbank debts between other organizations? Top. Right up at the top. <laughs> so they said, well, we have to pay each other. We all, it's basically to me, it was like a whole bunch of guys getting in a room and saying, now we're all going to pay each other first, right? 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 Yeah. So okay. if, we got if everything it. hits the fan, we, we're going to pay each we're other gonna take each, before depositors. We're going to take care of each other. And then this is opening that concept of the bail-in. Because you have a claim on the assets. If the assets of that bank are written down, they can then push that loss to you and say, our assets were written down by 20%. Your deposit value is written down by 20%. 20%. Or a more uh, PC way to do it is we'll give you equity in exchange for that 20%. But who wants equity in an insolvent bank, right? Yeah. I want my, I want cash. You want your money. You don't want their stock. Exactly. So that's, and that's what happened in Cyprus. And, it, yep. and there's other examples too that have occurred over, over time. This may kind of seem like a, a, a higher level uh, discussion for, for most, but this is, this is kind of the, the idea of a, a paradigm shift it, is, it, is just really looking at what's going on and having two perspectives, the perspective that everybody's fed but also another perspective because there always are more than one perspective and that and I, and I would I would encourage everybody when you hear something that is that is commonly believed or understood ask a question if there's another perspective and that will enlighten you as to if that's true or if that's false yeah and that's what I really like about what we're going to talk about here once we finally get to it the, the <laughs> what what life insurance works because you could take there are some people that take this information and then they say gold guns food storage and get a bunker right and and then stop you know, and just exit from from society. But that, to me, is kind of an extreme reaction to this. Um, and, and I think the the life insurance approach and some of these asset protection strategies is kind of the middle ground where we it's we still have a society, we still need to interact. There's still value here. Yep. Let's still live our lives, but be aware of what's going on. And if you don't know about the G20 summit or banking laws, it's probably time to start getting some basic education yep. around it, and then putting some things in place. Again, we don't have to go the extreme of living in the mountains, but but finding ways to make sure that you've got some ducks in a row and some protection. You're just aware of what's going on. That's the biggest thing. No, I agree. And, and there's a there's a book, How Privatized Banking Really Works by Carlos Lara and Bob Bob Murphy, who's uh, a very be- becoming a very famous economist. Uh, so we we have, uh, I think we have like a dozen copies of, of that book. So uh, if you uh, if you want to copy that book, I would say for the first uh, three people that request one, just, in, just email us at uh, info at paradigmlife.net. So info at paradigmlife.net. And uh, we'll we'll ship those books out to you. So the first three people that uh, they call in, I didn't, I didn't plan cool. on doing that, That's but awesome. yeah, let's let's uh, I'm let's emailing get that, right now. Let's get that. What's that? I'm emailing right now. So there's <laughs> only two left. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that but it's it's interesting because they point out a lot of things in there from a yep. kind of a non financial Well, they're both in financial services, not in the insurance industry. So it gives you know a, a seemingly objective perspective on everything that we're talking about right now. Another interesting thing, unless and then we'll get into the insurance is. Mm. Um, I was doing a, a presentation recently to a group of of, uh, of successful real estate investors, and they primarily focused on um, uh, hard hard money and pri- private lending. And a lot of them were using a you know a self directed uh, IRA uh, to to purchase uh, to purchase property and then not have to pay tax on the on the gain. And so it was an it was an enlightening conversation because I just gave a, a very simple example of the difference between. Uh, a Roth IRA and an IRA, because most some of them thought, uh, and I completely understand why that 
being able to have a, a pre-tax contribution and tax-deferred growth is better than having an after-tax contribution into a Roth with tax-free growth and tax-free withdrawal. And and I basically I said it, it's the if all variables are the same, it's the exact same thing. Okay, because pre pre-tax contributions growing growing over time, you're gonna have to pay tax on on the withdrawal. And if that tax is the same as a tax that would somebody would have to pay on the after-tax contribution, see, it comes out to be the exact same result. So you're making bet on tax rates. It it will only one account will be better if tax rates go up, and if one will be better if it goes down, and that's what you're banking a bet on. Yep. What you're getting out of those accounts is the tax deferred growth. Yep. That's the value. Yep. It's not when you're taxed, because when you're taxed is irrelevant. Yep. Again, holding tax rates constant. And this just comes down to what we were explaining before, which is the the control and whose asset is it really? Mm-hmm. Because looking at any qualified plan that's that's ta- that's uh, governed by uh, the government or or the IRS, it, it's not it's not necessarily your. If you look at the technical language, it is money that that is given to those specific structures that is held in custodian. For you, yeah, at a you're more point. of a beneficiary. You're than a an beneficiary owner. of that than than the owner, and it's it's surprising because as I was explaining to this this group, I used kind of the joke that we always uh, and they're private lenders, and I said you guys understand lending much better than I do. If you guys, if we formed, a, you know, we became friends and we had a really good relationship, and 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 uh, you came to me and said, hey, will you lend me some money? And I would say, yeah, I'll lend you, I'll lend you a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. And if what would the next line of discussion be? It would be okay. What are the terms? What are the terms you want for your loan? And I said, you know, I'm. Let's just figure out the terms down the road. <laughs> and I'm, I'm your friend. Just take I'm it now. We'll figure Don't it out worry. later. We'll, we'll figure it out down the road. Okay. And they they're like, no, nobody would ever take that loan. But yet, that's exactly what um, both a 401k an IRA and a Roth IRA is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because a Roth IRA, people think that oh yeah, I'm gonna have tax free growth and tax free withdrawal. Totally true, given the current understanding of mm-hmm. that section of the tax code, which can change at any time. But Just it, a matter of legislation. The tax it. code changes? <laughs> All the time. Every, every year. <laughs> every single year, new stuff. <laughs> Just go passed. look at the tax changes yeah. that occur every every single yep. year. All of those things are subject to change. Yep. And it's essentially what I just said. It's the terms upon which you'll withdraw, the tax rates you're going to pay, and even the deferral itself is not guaranteed. Yep. Okay, there was you know there was there was language brought up and it's been brought up for years about mm-hmm. a luxury or a success tax associated with qualified plans, which is if you're above a certain balance in your IRA, then you do you won't qualify for tax deferral. Not that that doesn't exist right now, but that the they table. can do that. They they can do and that. And it's happened. In, it's happened in other countries. Just always remember that if if the IRS is giving you a benefit, remember what's the what's the IRS's middle name. Revenue, yep. right? Internal revenue service, which means taxes. So whatever they do, their purpose is to maximize tax revenue. So if you happen to get a benefit, fine. But it, they're attempting to maximize their own tax revenue every time they do anything. Yep. So just keep that in mind as you as you deal with them. I, I like the other, you know, to add to your example, another way to think about qualified plans is you've got a business partner where you put up all the money, you take all the risk, you spend the time managing the investments. And at the end of the the investment period, he tells you how much he owns in the account. <laughs> and that's what we're doing with our accounts because for most people, a big chunk of that is still Uncle Sam's money. And he has yet to come in and tell you and how much of it he, he owns uh, of those investments. So we're not going to get too, yep. too deep into that today. We, uh, we have about a half an, hour, half an hour left. Let's get into just some of the characteristics that, I mean, I would, I would say are not the main benefits of, of what we do. They're more of just characteristics that come along with setting up, uh, setting up in, you know, insurance as part of your overall wealth, wealth plan. So let's, let's first talk about just the, the nature of insurance. Because when you, when you put money into an insurance company, obviously we set up policies and build um, in, mo- in, in most cases for the growth of, of cash value, which mm-hmm. is the liquid present present value of money you can use right now. Uh, this money has uh, tax-favored growth. Uh, another characteristic is we set up policies exclusively with mutual companies so that when you purchase this type of policy, you become an owner in the insurance company. There's no other owners besides mm-hmm. those that own these type of policies. So, And these are huge, huge multi-multi-billion dollar companies that may have made revenue for 200 years straight. So at the end of the year, you basically are are uh, entitled 
to a share of, of the revenue through a specific dividend. Now, this policy itself, the money that you give them, uh, in a sense, it's very similar to a bank account. Okay, mm-hmm. When you put money in there, is it yours? Yes and no. You own the contract, okay, but it's essentially an obligation of the insurance company to pay you. It's an obligation to pay the cash value if you request it or to give you a loan against it, which is a guaranteed obligation of the insurance company. And they also guarantee you a specific amount or guarantee your beneficiaries a specific amount of money if something happened to you. So basically, the contract itself, the contract that you abide by is you pay premiums. Okay, you pay that side of your obligation. A unilat- it's kind of a unilateral contract if you understand contract law. And then the insurance company is the one that, as long as you pay premiums, promises you, through contract to uh, pay you cash values, pay you uh, de- uh, uh, interest and dividends, mm-hmm. and then finally to pay a claim on, on, your, on your death. Okay, so essentially, that's, it's that type of contract. So how is, it, how is that type of contract different than the contract of a bank? The, the the you mentioned it already. They're both claims on assets. So the insurance company doesn't take your premium payments and stick them in a separate vault, and that's yours. It's still a claim on the insurance company's assets. The big difference is this: when you put money into a bank, how much of it do they keep? Ten on hand. Yeah, five to ten percent. Right. So we already know that your deposits. I hope I'm not inciting a bank run here. For people that don't know this, your money is not there. They are already default because of fractional reserves. But the difference with a life insurance company is they are not allowed to operate on fractional reserves. So the claim that you have is against is 100% reserved. Back by an asset. Exactly. And it has to be kept. It has to be kept liquid and safe. Okay? It's not foreign derivative swaps like what our banking assets are. It's, it is as close to a cash equivalent as, as, possible. as possible. And then the only risk that the insurance company takes is with assets above and beyond whatever is held by the owners in cash value. So it is a claim, but it's a claim in the most secure way possible. So okay. that's the beginning difference. I think another thing too is, you know, you, for those that understand kind of what, what, what actuarial or, or what an actuary is or actuarial science, uh, you'll understand that they do the exact same thing in banking. Because when a bank, when they when they charge an interest rate, they assess the risk associated with who they're lending. So they'll mm-hmm. use credit score, their job, their income, how much credit line they have. They know the statistics associated with if a person's going to default or not. Okay, But some people never default. Some people do. Some people carry a balance past the period where they're not charged interest. Some people uh, don't. They pay it off every single month before they're charged. Every... They know all of those statistics. Mm-hmm. Okay, But still, there's an element of risk in there. That's why you have interest rates, to price in that risk. And so looking at that, there's not a guarantee that someone's going to default. Not a guarantee that somebody is going to um, pay it off every month. There may be a case in which they carry it over. With insurance, all everything is guaranteed. Okay, because an insurance company, they they basically price in the only thing that's ever going to happen to a person, which is their 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 death, their their passing away. It's the only it's it's a perfect science because that's an inevitability that everybody faces. So it's also when you put money into that institution, now you know that institution, you know, if it's a bank, they're making bets on Mm -hmm. credit cards and automobile loans and mortgages and business loans which you know, have a degree of more degree of risk. You obviously have fractional reserve yep. banking, but then you also have all of that other risk. And look at the subprime crisis based on the exposure that banks had to derivatives and to um, risky, mor- risky mortgages, it affected, it affected everybody. Okay? Whereas insurance companies, don't, you don't face any of that risk. Yeah, and to, to go one step further, the banks, I mean, we all, you know, we demonize banks because they're greedy and you know, obviously a lot of that's true, but the banks were also forced to do business with certain people, right? They were forced to make certain subprime loans. So the, the, the people using your money, the bank doesn't even want to transact with them, but they're forced to. Insurance companies, it's a private company, yeah. and it, they're, not, they're not forced into those types of arrangements. They get to do, go through underwriting and, and do all these processes, and they don't, they're never forced to take on more risk than they can calculate and, and manage effectively. So it's also the business model is... Is is very different in that respect as well. Much different. So let's let's get into kind of the the, the privacy side of things because there's there's different layers different layers of privacy. So obviously we just talked about contracts. We talked about you know kind of the difference between banks and banks and insurance companies. Um, but this this contract that you set up, if you decide to to set up a contract and and pay premiums and accept what the insurance company promises to you, then it, it's it's absolutely private. 
Okay, mm-hmm. nobody knows about it other than you and the insurance company. It's not on public records, not on UCC filings. Uh, it's not on your credit report. Mm-hmm. Okay, this type of transaction, this policy, um, this policy j- is a private between you and the insurance company, which is the first layer of privacy. Yep. And you add on top of that, when you deposit money with a bank, you don't own that bank. When you deposit with an insurance company, you own that insurance company. So it's private and it's it's like a closely held business. Because there are some pretty, you know, you know, pu- private companies that put out a lot of information. I'm kind of forced to that because of the scope of business they have, but this is a privately closely held business. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the first that's the first, first thing part is- of it. If in the in the event that anything we talked about in the first half hour in relation to a, a judgment or a lawsuit um, or uh, which I guess are the same thing, but somebody that has a claim that mm-hmm. wins a claim on your assets, okay, they go and do asset searches. They search yep. for for property. They search for bank accounts. They search for everything that they can get their hands on and basically serve a judgment. Yep. They don't know that you have a li- they, there's no life way for them to know doesn't come if you have way. a life in, if you have a life yep. insurance policy. You have to be you have to be drug into court. And then, dec- you know, be forced to declare everything that you have. Yep. It can't be just under oath. found out. Yep. So that's the only time under oath with a judgment that you would have to declare that you have that that account. Yep. So that's the first layer of protection. Then yep. the second layer of protection. Uh, so the, again, again, the privacy side of things. This is completely, com- completely private. Mm-hmm. The second layer is, in a sense, even though you may own a life insurance policy, it's it's kind of like a trust. You're not a beneficiary of the life insurance policy. Okay, you you own you own it, but essentially the death benefit doesn't get paid out unless you're gone. So it's not it's not yours. You're not essentially the beneficiary of those of that asset. Mm-hmm. And a lot of states look at it that way. Yep. Now, obviously, we set up for present value and for cash value, which can be used while you're alive and has a good, really really good return and has tax favorability. Um, but they don't look at it from that standpoint. The the cash value is more of an equity. To how uh, how states view a life insurance policy, mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, the death benefit, which is essentially what they look at, and they look at it and say, okay, this is something that's a beneficiary to children, to a spouse, to replace the income of a person who was the breadwinner. Yep. So most states, you can go, you know, we have a matrix that talks about you know which states um, and how much asset protection, but a lot of states have a hundred percent asset protection. So even if mm-hmm. you went into court under oath, said you know, I have this life insurance policy. I have a million dollars of, of cash value and four million dollars of death benefit for my, you know, for my kids. Mm-hmm. Okay, they would they would look at that and they would say, okay, creditor, listen, there's a million dollars there. You can't touch it. Yep, and that's the, that's the big difference. Is first and foremost, life insurance is a death benefit for a beneficiary, and the cash value is a byproduct. It's it's what the insurance company, it's the present value of that is what they'll return to you. That's how it's viewed legally. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we come in kind of a back door and say, well, the, here's all these living benefits of that. But the face of that life insurance policy, like you said, is not yours. Yep. It is it is for the beneficiary of somebody else. And so legally, it's tough to go through and say, well, I'm going to I'm going to take the present value of this assets that, that is really somebody else's. So a lot of that law, like you said, is in the same vein of trust law, where I'm sued and I have to give you my assets, but this life insurance policy really isn't my asset, so you can't take it. Exactly. Even though I can use it, it's not my it's 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 my wife's or my kids or whoever I've designated, and so they 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 can't come in and take it from me. Yeah, and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna back up one step and talk about just the, the nature of privacy and being hauled into court and sworn to wealth. So there's a there's a there's a client. He's a client of ours, and I know him really really well. He's he's become a good friend. Um, but he went through a really hard time during this whole crisis, 2008 to 2010. Uh, he had a couple million dollars in, uh, in debt, uh, mortgage debt, credit card debt, business debt. Um, he had, uh, purchased a, a business, I think in like, uh, end of 2000, it was either beginning of 2008 or end of 2007 and essentially was, you know, defaulted on the majority of, of debt and he had mil- millions. Uh, he didn't have much insurance set up at, at that time. Um, but he basically ha- was served. I, m- I remember, you know, talking to him, and it was I mean, he had some marital problems. And it was it was a crazy situation for him just going through this ordeal. And I remember just some of the stories of creditors knocking on his window. And uh, I remember he was driving out with, uh, his, you know, pulling out of the driveway with his kids in the car, trying to drop them off at school. And creditors were banging on his window. So it was, emba- it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing because yeah. his neighbors saw it, his children saw it. Um, he never went to court. He ne- he he had a good attorney. 
and was able to um, settle. He didn't. I don't think he filed bankruptcy. Uh, settled most most of the debt, and never had to show up in court and say, "Here are all my assets. Come to come take my come take yeah. my assets." Um, so anyway, going back to that, you know, the first layer of privacy. Even though your state may not have full asset protection, if you were hauled into court and had to disclose all of your assets. Still, just the nature of having a private contract is a is a huge protection protection for you. Okay, yep. all right. So the second is state specific. You know, insurance law is uh, there is a federal you know federal regulator for insurance, but most uh, regulators are state state specific. Yep. Each state has their own division division of insurance. Um, so it's it's state specific as far as what's protected and what's what's not. Well, and that's another big benefit too, because if somebody wants to sue you and they're in another state, they have to come to your state exactly. to deal with that specific asset because it's, exactly. it's state by state. So that yep. adds another you know, layer of, of benefit there. Unlike a lot of other debts can be settled on a, on a higher level. Exactly. So. Because they look at, oh, no, I have to go you know, use a firm there and pay them. Is it really worth it? And what if I, you know, that kind of brings up the terms of yep. being able to settle. So, okay. And then there's a third, third layer of protection. So if you want to be 100% solid, 100% bulletproof, okay, your state may have 100% asset protection. Um, and you, it's going to be completely, completely private. But you can set up what's called an irrevocable uh, life insurance trust, which you know, really makes the policy not yours. You have no say on paper yep. whatsoever. And you don't even have to under oath declare that that is you don't your even, asset. Yeah, that you, you go in there. It's not, it's not your asset. Yep. But the control that you do retain, and again, this goes into, you know, some estate planning conversation yep. and, and talk. Um, uh, but you basically have control over how that trust uses the money and you can still borrow against it. It's still liquid. You can still use it. You can lend it. You can. So there, there's a lot. You know that that trust. Um, you know it's not very expensive. You can set up for you know thousand fifteen hundred bucks. Uh, and then there's some you know yearly maintenance fees. So it's it's not it's not expensive at, nope. at all to have that third layer of bulletproof bulletproof protection. Yep. Now there is a Jay Atkinson. He's one of the famous uh, asset protection lawyers. Has a really cool blog. Um, and has a really cool new newsletter as well. Uh, he is the first to state that there is no such thing as 100% asset protection. Right. Okay. Basically, what this does is it just provides three layers of frustration, so that you're not going to get sued and your assets aren't going to get taken. Uh, and looking at, you know, if you, you know, if you do have a ton of assets and you are in some dispute with a super wealthy corporation or business or whatever they can fight through a lot of the stuff and, right. and maybe get your assets. But at the same time, for most of us, 99.9% of individuals, those three layers are are sufficient and provide you such an amazing benefit, which is not the primary benefit of what we do and what we, you know, what we sell mm -hmm. and what we provide as services and products for for clients of Paradigm Life. So that is just an it's an element of how you can privatize your wealth. It's an element um, of making sure that you know you have insurance against things that are out of your control, which is uh, which is creditors or, or judgments that can come against you. Yep. And the whole idea, Patrick, like you were saying, is just don't make it easy for them. Too many of us are just sitting ducks. I mean, don't walk through the dark alley with a Rolex on your wrist and short sleeves and diamonds flashing. I mean, <laughs> dollar bills hang out of your pocket. I mean, don't make it easy yeah. for them. Don't be right? a target. Cover it up, protect it, keep it private. It's not that you're going to go do things wrong with it. But again, it's just taking the right amount of precaution in the world that we happen to live in right now. And the life insurance policy, like I said earlier, is the best. It's the easiest way to protect a huge chunk of that, yet still allowing you to participate in society. It's, you don't have to bury it in a hole and you don't have to move it to a foreign country. It's kind of that, that middle ground for a big chunk of those assets. For some people, it's enough for everything. Um, but for the other people that are moving stuff over, you know, offshore and overseas, for what they do have to keep here, it, it is just a really nice way to, to keep it clean. Okay, great point. So the, we'll, we have a couple minutes left. Let's just talk about one other one other point in relation to, to this whole privacy idea. So there's another there's another characteristic of you know the the products that we use, which is the guaranteed uh, loan provision. So as you build your wealth, mm -hmm. there's some of your wealth inside of these type of products. Uh, that's what we were specifically talking about, which is that that value is um, is is private. It has tax benefits. It has a credible track record. Uh, it allows you to participate in ownership of the insurance company who has a perfect science because it deals with the only inevitability of life. 
but they also provide you in the contract with a guarantee to borrow from them against your contract. So as yep. you build up, you know, whatever the amount of money is, let's say it's $100,000, that money is there, it's earning interest, it's growing, but the insurance company will actually give you a line of credit against that. So it still grows, still earns interest, but you can borrow from the insurance company um, up to that amount, whatever that amount is. Mm -hmm. So when the insurance company gives you that loan, most every, I think every loan out there, unless it's, you know, a loan from gra grandma, grandma <laughs> Jenny, right, is, is, uh, is private. Okay. It, every other, I'm sorry, every other loan out there is public. It's public. Okay. Those type of like, you know, little family loans here, here and there. I guess like a loan with a loan shark is, is, is private too. Yeah. If you want to keep your kneecaps, <laughs> it's not, right? So, but loans that are kind of out, most loans are, you know, there's UCC filings, there's your credit yep. report. There's ways in which people can know what you have as far as, you know, there's, there's yep. uh Dun and Bradstreet, there's uh Experian Business, there's, there's all the TransUnion, Equifax and Experian, which are the credit bureaus. Uh, in the U.S. and in, uh, there's another one too, which Innovis or some, something like that. But this shows your your exposure to to debt. It gives you mm -hmm. they you know basically banks profile you as far as your your credibility is concerned. Yep. And nowadays, you know, employers look at that, uh, landlords look at that. If you're going to be renting, uh, it's it's incredible the lengths they go to to determine your credibility. This is a private loan that doesn't show up anywhere. Yep. Again, it's the same type of privacy as we talked about before, which is it's pr a private transaction between you and the insurance company. Yep. And and to, to go one step further than that, not only is it a private transaction that doesn't show up on your credit report, the payments aren't fixed. Nobody's, if you, you can choose to default on it without them coming and taking your house from you. It's not collateralized by anything but the insurance policy. So you can defer payments. You can skip payments. Yeah, so you can you never can renegotiate yeah, it. You I can mean, never default because I, I want to make sure that that's not a, yeah, uh, no, yeah. people take that. You, you can defer payments without, without penalty. Yep. There you go. Or you can allow them to just take the cash value and, and extinguish the loan that yep. way. So you're right, you can't just walk away from it, never pay it, but yep. it will, <clears throat> you can, you can control all of the terms of that to be as flexible to whatever your situation dictates or, or requires. Okay. Yeah. So this is, I mean, this has been a good conversation. This has been a good conversation. I mean, it, it's, it is a little bit high level, but we just felt like it, it would, it would be appropriate just to dedicate something in relation to, to this. Cause it is a very, it's a hot topic. We've been requested to talk about it more in depth. So hopefully this was, uh, this, this appeased those, uh, those demands. So a lot of, a lot of this stuff, a lot of this education, you know, what we're talking about, we've, we've gone and put, uh, all of this online for, for free. Um, and there's, so there's no obligation associated with it. So you can register for our e-learning programs uh, at www.paradigmlife.net. Uh, our, our most famous one is uh, Infinite 101. And, you know, it's, it's a series of, uh, you know, a dozen and a half videos just in relation to everything that we do, kind of giving you an idea of our, our services and how things work. And a lot of the things that we touched on today are explained in much more detail uh, on the website. Uh, if you uh, have any other any other questions, don't hesitate to, to give us a call. Our phone number is 800-870-8670. Uh, you can also email us at info at paradigmlife.net. Uh, check us out on social media. We have an awesome social media team. Uh, uh, Janae and Lauren and, and David up in our marketing department have done an incredible job of taking a lot of this information and pushing it out to uh, to the social media world. So uh, so check check us out on Facebook. We're on LinkedIn, and we're also on Google+. Google Plus. And uh, I think we're on the, the Twitter. We're on the Twitter <laughs> the, as well. We use the Twitter too? Great. <laughs> so, all right, everyone. Have a great, uh, great week, and we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Patrick Donahoe on the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard for everything financial. Thank you for listening.